Good morning. Like Father John uh, just communicated, we're going to go to the book of James, which is in the New Testament. So if you have a Bible with you, whether it be in book form or electronic form, I would invite you to turn to the book of James. The book of James is a great book. It is often called the uh, the Proverbs of the New Testament. And James is very practical for God's people. He just kind of lays it out very practically. This is the way that you ought to live now that you have faith. This is what you ought to do. And so we come to a subject that often um, is not easy to come to, and that is prayer. And so I'm going to be in James 5, starting with verse 13. We're going to look at 13 through 18 this morning. When you talk about the subject of prayer, there often is um, different emotions that kind of begin to bubble through the surface when, when God's people kind of discuss prayer, whether it be a sermon on prayer, whether it be a teaching on prayer. Um, there's these emotions that kind of come to the forefront in our lives, and some of those emotions um, are perhaps fear, they can be anxiousness, guilt, um, right? I, I don't, I'm not praying enough, and I'm now, now you're making me feel guilty. Um, why do we have to talk about this subject, right? We kind of cringe, we shrink in the pews, or in your case, a chair. Um, could be weariness. I, I get weary talking about this subject of prayer. Um, regret, and perhaps even um, maybe this morning, it could be anger on this subject kind of bubbles up anger in you. So there's weariness, there's guilt. Um, Because I didn't spend um, two or three grueling hours on my knees like Dr. So-and-so did, um, or because I wasn't able to weave dozens of passages of Scripture through my prayers, um, or because I haven't been successful in moving mountains, we can pick up distinct impressions that we're just kind of We're out to lunch, right, when it comes to prayer. I'm I'm horrible at prayer. It's not working for me. So I'm weary. There's guilt. Maybe you've had similar experiences when you listen to the subject taught and preached. There may be anger this morning. For many, there appears to be a problem with prayer. It's a one-way conversation. doesn't seem to work. God takes too long to answer. God does what he wants anyways, right? All those things. We can be crushed between mortar and the pestle of life. It's easy to think there's a serious problem with prayer, namely God. We can get frustrated. God doesn't answer according to our will. And so there's frustration. There's anger. We can feel like our prayers just kind of, you know, they, they either don't go beyond the roof or they're just kind of floating around in the galaxy, right? Too insignificant to catch the Creator's attention. There, there may be anger this morning. There may be regret this morning. Thinking back over the decades of service to His Savior, we don't often associate regrets with Billy Graham and his ministry. As he nears the end of his life, however, he has shared those things that have brought him the most regret. And I think this is really insightful for where we're going today. 
His Dr. Graham was asked the question, and here it is, quote, if you could do it all over again. So if you think about Dr. Graham's ministry and all the countless crusades of sharing the gospel and those coming forward, um, oftentimes I, I watch these old crusades of the 60s and 70s that they'll still put on television and you know, all these people just streaming forward for Christ and the gospel. He's asked if you could do it all over again. Would you do anything differently? Anything. Here's Dr. Graham's response. I would study more. I would pray more. I would travel less. I would take less speaking engagements. If I had to do it over again, I'd spend more time in meditation and prayer and telling the Lord how much I love Him and adore Him and looking forward to the time we are going to spend together for eternity. End quote. Regret, perhaps, this morning. Well, James is wanting us to kind of not just dismiss those emotions this morning. But what James is wanting to do is he's wanting to encourage us. He's wanting to encourage us. He is emphatically calling God's people to pray. There's no doubt about that. So if you don't want to pray this morning, I have bad news for you. Um, You have to pray. You have to speak to God. That's what prayer is. It's communication to the Creator, our God. We, we pray. So he's emphatically, emphatically calling us to pray. But the locus of effective prayer is not us. And that, that ought to now begin to help us. Okay, this isn't... So this is great. So the message isn't about method or what I have to say, what I shouldn't say. And, you know, get all worried about, you know, like get all giddy about what, it, you know, praying publicly or corporately and you know messing up words it's not about that it's not about us effective prayer is not about us but it's about our great and wonderful and amazing god this god of elijah that we're gonna talk about but first for god to work we must what we must Pray. Good. Thank you, Betty. We must pray, right? We must pray. So look at that with me. Starting in James chapter 5, looking at verse 13. Because I want you to see this. I know you've already heard it read, but I want you to pick up on what James readers are hearing and what we should be hearing this morning. Verse 13, is anyone sick among you? Is anyone suffering among you? Let him what? Pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Verse 14, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them what? Pray Pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. The Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Verse 16, therefore, confess your sins one to another and what? Pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. If you just stop there at verse 16, that phrase, maybe, maybe someone, God's bringing someone to mind right now. Grandmother, father, mother, that individual that's always prayed for you. 
It's brought you to where you are today through God. Verse 17, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he what? He prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Verse 18, then he what? Prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. So, what do you see here? Seven times, seven times in six verses, James says, or uses that root word, pray. Pray. So I think in the readers, James gives this letter to readers, and they're reading it. I think what they're picking up is, gee, I I wonder if he wants us to pray. The answer is yes. James is saying you have to pray. You ought to pray. Pray. And there are three kinds of prayer right here in the text. So look at those with me. Verse 13, pray for yourself. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Here the suffering may be of of any kind. Not told that only in some kinds of suffering you should pray for yourself. So our response to some suffering should be praying for ourselves, evidently without pulling elders together or people in. Of course, it doesn't have to be either or. We're more than welcome to do that. James is just saying, pray for yourself. If you're suffering, pray. And not, we're not always suffering, are we? He even says that. Is anyone cheerful? That's me, right? I go in the office over there at Scarden Hall on Monday through Friday, and I'm whistling, and I want to be cheerful, I'm joyful, and I'm driving everyone crazy. But there are times where we suffer, don't we? We face trials, and so James says, pray for yourself. Second, there's the praying of the elders over a sick person. This is a case where the person is so weak, they're so bedridden, that they can't get out easily to the gathered corporate church or parish. They can't get to the people of God. And so we see this condition in the phrase, pray over, right? They're praying over. It's probably signifying that people are gathered around the bed with the elders around them. We see it in this statement, the Lord will raise him or her up, implying that they are laid low. They're sick. They can't get out of bed. They can't get out of the home. So the situation when the elders are called probably involves a physical condition that keeps a person from getting out into the parish, the fellowship. And then third, this is the most important this morning, it is prayer for one another, for each other. It's very general. As I see it here in the text, it could include what we know as a prayer meeting. Um, They'll A lot of times after the service or during the Eucharist, there's women and men out there praying in St. Paul's Central. And so that's what's happening. We're praying for one another as we have needs. It could include private prayer at home for a friend. It could include teams of people praying for others in their presence or at a distance. But notice that the issue is still healing here in verse 16. There's still infirmities physically. Could be spiritual, but probably physical. Pray for one another that you may be what? Healed. Healed. Not necessarily limited to physical healing, but in this context, surely not excluding it either. 
that we see all kinds of prayer. And this is my question. What, what if James just left us like right here now? This is kind of where it ended. What if he just left us right here? Well, I think, at least for me personally, all these emotions that we talked about in the beginning of the message would begin to kind of bubble up again, kind of creep into our lives. Because what we're hearing at this point from James is what? Pray. And some of us, including myself, would be like, okay, I don't do that enough. I'm terrible at that. So you're not helping me, James. You're not, it doesn't feel like encouragement to me. Pray. And I'm terrible at praying. I don't pray. And now I'm beginning to feel anxious and weary. And beginning to regret how I've maybe lived the last week. And the latter part of verse 16 is really the nail in the coffin, isn't it? When you look at that verse, it's that coffee mug verse, right? The prayer of a righteous person has great power. <laughs> right? right? I mean, okay, I'm not Elijah. Sorry, that leaves me out. I'm not Billy Graham. That leaves me out. I'm not Father John. I mean, John, Father John's a pretty righteous guy. I mean, right? I mean, who here is that righteous? We're, we're just right back at the beginning now. We're at the same problem. So it would seem that the direction of thought in this argument is that Elijah and Elisha were extraordinary prophets of God and therefore cannot serve as a model for us insofar as they prayed for miracles to occur. But this is why I love this passage. Notice what James does here. James seems to think the exact opposite is true according to verses 17 and 18. Look at him with me, right? What's the point of, of James saying, quote, Elijah was what? A man with a nature just like who? You, me, us. And that's what should set our feet to dancing because James is saying, you know what? Elijah's just like you. Look what he did. So the point, I think, is to block the objection that says that he was somehow extraordinary and cannot serve as a model for our praying. The point is just the opposite. Of those who would say Elijah and Elisha experienced miracles... Because they were unique. They were unique spokesmen for God. James just shatters all that. The point is, Elijah was just like you. So that you can be encouraged that your prayers will have great effect. Like what? Stopping the rain for three and a half years. <laughs> there you go. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. Right? And James is like, you can do this. Don't be discouraged. God hears your prayers. God will work for you on your behalf. Yes, you have to pray. But be encouraged. You, you, can, you can do this. The example of Elijah was brought in by James to encourage all of us. 
who are referred to in verse 16 to pray for each other that we may be healed. And he says, pray for each other that you may be healed. He says, the prayer of a righteous person has great power and its effects. Then he gives Elijah's an example, stresses that he's not in the class by himself when he prays for a three-year drought. So the logic of this passage seems pretty plain to me. All of us should be praying for each other. And our goal in praying should be to live and pray in a way that would have the same kind of healing effects as Elijah had when he prayed for rain after a three-year drought. Encouraging? See it? You hear it? In other words, this text does not limit powerful praying for divine healing to healers or these superhuman faith individuals, right? These, and you, they're, those, those men and women come to mind, right? Those, those men and women in your mind, they're like, they're super faithful. There's no way I'll ever get there. It's not limited. There's no limit to powerful praying to these individuals. It encourages us rather than discouraging us to think of our praying in the same category with the great miracle worker of the Bible. Here's, here's the last thing that I think will help us and encourage us as well. Because remember... The message here that James is giving us is the locus of effective prayer has to do with who? I mean, is it Elijah? Is it us? No, right? It's not, this isn't methodology 101. This is pray to who? To God. So we have to be reminded, okay, James, help us now. This is where it's helpful to know the Old Testament. Because we need to know who the God of Elijah is. We need to know what this God did with Elijah and Elisha and all the rest of the prophets and what this God does in the New Testament for us. So, what did he do? Well, he was the God who, right, shut up the heavens, and that's exactly what James says. He shut the heavens up, it didn't rain. He was the God who provided for Elijah at the brook of Cherith. You remember, if there's a drought, what's going to happen to the water and the land? So, right, this is prophesied and this is judgment. When you have no water, what happens? People die, animals die, and there's no water. So he sends him to the brook at Cherith, and what happens to the brook? (laughs) Well, to Elijah's dismay, it dries up. And so he's like, okay, how am I going to drink and how am I going to eat? So what did God do? God provided for him. He provides for him at the brook of Cherith and at Zarephath. He was the God that raised the widow's dead son. He's raising the dead. That's the God that we serve. He was the God who answered by fire on Mount Carmel. Remember that that whole experience with Elijah and the, the prophets of Baal, they're you know, it's douse the altar with water. Let's see whose God answers, right? Prophets of Baal, they're screaming, they're cutting themselves. And what happened? Absolutely nothing. Silence. So Elijah says, douse it again. Put more water on it. And in fact, flood it. And what's he do? He prays to God, and what's God do? He sends fire from heaven and it decimates all of it. That's the God 
He was the God who took Elijah away in a chariot of fire. He is the same God who sent His Son to be, to be born of the Virgin Mary. He's the same God who removed our sin and our guilt as far as the east is from the west. He's the same God who has redeemed us from the curse of the law, the power of sin. He's the same God who has reconciled us to Himself through our Lord Jesus Christ, who we're going to meet at the Eucharist in just a moment. He's the same God who heard the prayers of Elijah, who will hear our prayers today, tomorrow, this week, this month. And as long as we have breath in our lungs, he will hear us until we breathe our last. He is the same God yesterday, today, and forever. Let's pray to this God.